0: Welcome to D.A.R.E., the show for innovators, entrepreneurs, and startup leaders who dare to shape the future. Your hosts today are Ned Hayes and Cecilia Mariani. D.A.R.E. is brought to you by Darwaf, the superpower tech team that can make your vision a reality. The DARE Podcast is happy to welcome Michael Schutzler to the show today. Michael is the CEO of the Washington Technology Industry Association, the WTIA. It's the leading industry advocacy group for technology-driven companies in Washington State. As CEO, he's really led a transformation of this group, and he also serves as current president of the Technology Councils of North America. We're excited to have Michael here. Welcome.
1: Thank you. Nice to be here
0: so first of course what is the wtia for people who don't know why don't you fill us in
1: sure the wtia is a strange trade association it's a somewhat uniquely formed we started out as just a regular trade association 10 years ago when i got this job and it has now become a consortium hmm. four distinct legal entities that all work together it is still a trade association which is a 501c6 and that when you introduced the wti earlier is that function the trade association what is often thought of in the language of advocacy so we have a very strong collection of companies that work together to represent the interests of the industry as a whole in mean, discussions about public policy with with regulators and you know government officials but we're way beyond that. We're, we're a consortium of, of a number of other entities. We, In order to serve small companies, the number one thing that small tech companies were asking us for was help in constructing things like payroll and benefits and HR benefits, healthcare plans, 401ks, that kind of thing. And it turns out that by using a large number of small companies, we've created a co-op model that makes all of that awesome stuff, super affordable for a small company with only maybe, you know, five or 10 employees that normally couldn't do all that stuff. So we built all that and that's required two distinct legal entities, one of which is something governed by the Department of Labor. It's called a 501c9 or an Employee Benefits Trust, and that's the co-op. And then there's another entity that makes it possible to build and deliver all the healthcare and 401k and business insurance and payroll and all that other stuff that's required And that's a for-profit subsidiary of the WTIA trade association. And that for-profit subsidiary has to be a for-profit because it produces income. And to be good corporate citizens, we pay taxes and we don't have that in the 501c6, which is a nonprofit. And then finally, the last thing is uh, the large companies, mostly they care a lot about public policy, especially regulation. But they care more about, frankly, workforce. There's not enough people to do the jobs that are created by our industry. And there's a spectacular lack of uh, diverse talent in the traditional education pipeline for a whole host of reasons that maybe we can talk about at some point. But the main thing that we've done there is we've built a new model, stealing a page out of the European playbook. And are we've been using an apprenticeship model to help people who are currently either underemployed or unemployed who have the aptitude to do a tech job. We get them the tech training and then we get them the -the on-the-job training over the course of about a year and a half to place them. And so far across the country, we've placed about 3,000 people into tech jobs as a result of that mechanism. So when you say WTIA, we're all that stuff.
0: (laughs) Right, it's an umbrella organization, really.
1: In many ways, that's right,
0: Yeah. So backing up a little bit, you said that you're helping these smaller companies be successful. So I'll ask a kind of dumb question, but one that I'm sure you can answer at volume. Why is it important to to build the startup ecosystem? Why is it it important for small companies to succeed? What kind of economic factors does it have? Sure. It's
1: it's a really interesting question because... When you ask that question in St. Louis, you get a very different answer than you do in the Seattle area. Mm. Seattle has had, the, frankly, the the luck and the benefit of a very strong technology ecosystem, frankly, that started with the UW and Boeing more than 100 years ago.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And it's that foundation of technology talent that made it possible for Bill Gates to move from Arizona back to his home state of Washington to take his company that he had just formed and bring it to Washington to go build company and partnered closely with University of Washington to build local talent, but of course, yeah. you know, also took advantage of a lot of really great business and technical talent in the area. And that, frankly, is the the petri dish in which all of this amazing growth has taken place over the course of you know, the last 30, 40 years, I mean, there are thousands of companies that have formed and succeeded Mm -hmm. in the Pacific Northwest, not just in Seattle, but Pacific Northwest in general. And so what's the benefit of that? Well, my God, 80% of Uh the growth in the state of Washington comes from this sector. Uh And it's because the startup communities have successfully built and grown new companies which create jobs, which create economic benefit for you know, all the communities in which we operate. So what do, what does the WTIA need to do in that? What, is, what does any association need to do when something that's already that vibrant and healthy? Well, it turns out that as successful as we've been, we still have huge gaps. Uh, the Pacific Northwest is not the valley. We have a Tiny, tiny fraction of venture capital in this community. Two out of every $3 of venture capital invested into a Washington based company comes from the valley. Really? Yeah. So, like the money, the money to get this thing up and, you know, getting a startup up and running, you know, the venture capital is not, it, it, there's some here in the Pacific Northwest, Madrona being the, the biggest and the most. Powerful by, by, by any stretch of the imagination, but most of the money is actually in the Valley. But most startups don't start, as you know, with venture capital checks. Right. Most startups start with friends and family, get their idea up on the ground, and then they got to go find some early seed stage capital. And in that arena, the Pacific Northwest is the Valley of Death. Wow. We don't have a very active angel investor community compared to like Boston or Austin Texas or or you know Silicon Valley we have a very small angel community here we have very limited seed capital it's very difficult to get your company from concept through seed stage to get a series A term sheet right and the nickname for that's the valley of death and that's how we are here in the Pacific Northwest so there's an enormous value that we bring to startups by helping them very quickly navigate all of the expertise they need to either launch their product or get their seed round. So that's where we, that's where we play. We help, we've helped hundreds of founders in total, probably we've helped about a hundred startups raise about $300 million of seed capital over the last four years.
0: That's not tiny.
1: It's, and it's, our job was to accelerate the product launch right. and the seed round so that they don't die in the valley of death. And then after that, then they can go get a series A term sheet. I mean, right if they're, if they're series A term sheet worthy, they have a shot at it because we help them navigate that very difficult path from startup to their series A term sheet. And there's still an enormous amount of work that needs to be done in the Pacific Northwest to keep that ecosystem healthy. So think about that. The Pacific Northwest is considered the second most active startup hub for technology in the United States after mm. the Valley. Right. It's huge. And on a per capita basis, it's, it's the biggest. Like we're, we're, we're tiny by comparison to the valley of New York City. <laughs> we still yeah. have huge volumes of success. And we do in spite of the valley of death. So <laughs> how much more economic benefit there is to the region in jobs and contributions to state tax coffers and city tax coffers. Imagine how much more benefit there is economically if we had a healthier early-stage ecosystem. And that's why we're focused on that.
0: Wow, that's really inspiring. You also mentioned, though, that if you if I ask the same question in St. Louis, it mm-hmm. would be a different answer. And you're currently the president of the Technology Councils of North America, right? So you have some insight into what it's like in different regions. So how is it different? What would the answers be elsewhere? And we could spend an hour on that, but let's briefly cover some of yeah, the that's a,
1: you bet. Just one minor correction. Uh, a lot of times board, board, board chairs are called president. I, I'm okay. actually, the title is board chair for- ah. Or techna, that's the organization that you were referring to. Tecna is, uh, you can almost think of it as like the NBA. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's a collection trade associations, tech trade associations in North America.
0: Uh-huh. So it's Canadian
1: and U.S. tech trade associations who come together, like the, the CEOs of all of those orgs come together to help each other successfully serve their markets. And where the NBA metaphor fails is that we don't compete with each other. We actually are highly collaborative because I don't compete with Emily, who's the CEO in St. Louis. We help each other figure out how to serve our communities better. Mm-hmm. This, is a, this is a partnership organization that basically combines assets and resources and best practices to help each other succeed in serving their local their local communities better. And the reason why I brought up St. Louis is because St. Louis's tech association that Emily Hemingway runs is relatively new. And mm-hmm. St. Louis is not known as the tech hotbed of the United States, but there's an enormous benefit to St. Louis as a community mm-hmm. if they have a really healthy vibrant startup community. Got so it? enormous focus on serving their technology companies that are growing Mm -hmm. with the support of the other business community. And I've seen this a lot, Ned, across the country where you don't have a really deep, solid tech infrastructure like in the Pacific Northwest. If you go to Atlanta, Georgia, or you go to Nashville, Tennessee, or you go to St. Louis, you find an enormous collaboration among non-tech companies, Mm. helping tech companies succeed because Uh, the whole business community, the entire residents, like all the residents in those communities, benefit from a vibrant tech ecosystem. You know, here in the Pacific Northwest, I mean, we've tried for years to try to engage companies like Starbucks and Nordstroms and Alaska Airlines and Costco and all the rest of them because they're awesome and they're they're wonderful companies and they have a lot to to offer. But they don't really engage with the tech industry because the tech industry is seen as a giant behemoth here. Mm-hmm. But you, know, you go to Atlanta, you know, Coca-Cola is one of the big power partners for their tech trade association. <laughs> That's <laughs> where they're headquartered. And they're, they get it. Coca-Cola gets a huge benefit out of having a successful, vibrant tech ecosystem.
0: Right. Right. Well, so part of the work that WTIA and, and groups within that umbrella organization does, part of the work that you do is working with the state, too, working with the legislature, creating a, a positive environment. So can you tell us about, about legislative activity and why it's important to actually work with government? I know some, some tech companies have not been effective in working with government. So how can you make, make that environment more friendly? Yeah. Well,
1: all right. So, a couple things. Um, it's not so much that tech companies are not effective at working with government in the Pacific Northwest, in particular. Mm-hmm. There's a uh, a faction of super progressive lawmakers who perceive business to be, in general, evil, and mm-hmm. the tech industry especially. And so uh, there's just a lot of polemic arguments from folks in state and city government that have often been difficult to work with. So no matter what the tech industry does, no matter how collaborative they are, they're, just, they're not welcome. They're not welcome to yeah. the table. They're not even brought into a conversation. They're usually, they're usually just seen as, you know, we need to tax the rich to, you know, to serve the poor. And it's, what's interesting about this job is that when I first came here, our association was highly associated with please don't tax us. Hmm. And first of all, that's ass backwards. And I, I had, I, I just couldn't agree with that philosophy. And I wasn't willing to do the job if we had that. Yeah. And the, the second thing is that, especially in a blue state, It's kind of a stupid position to take, even if you believe that (laughs) Right, right. you won't be invited to any of the reindeer games. Like there's no way you can show up and say, we don't like taxes. Please don't tax us. And then have a conversation about. So how come you guys aren't funding schools? Uh You can't have that. So we shifted our entire philosophy and our entire advocacy strategy toward building a strong tech ecosystem that's equity centered mm-hmm. and that serves the community and the number one thing that the tech industry needs help with is workforce uh, so
0: our
1: highest priority like day two after me taking this job was the only thing that we should be saying for a long time is how do we help you fund public education hmm because the state of Washington has been systematically defunding public education for 30 years. Mm. And so it's just done a crappy job of funding public education with a few wonderful exceptions here and there. And so we've taken the position like, no, 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 no. And we've actually said this, yeah, sure. Tax us more, increase our B&O tax. Just take two thirds of
0: that and put it into education. Right. Actually fund education at a level that will create a workforce for the future. Right. Right. We also, I mean, again,
1: because workforce is such an incredibly important thing. We collaborated proactively with um, one of the state legislators on developing the first gender pay equity law in the United States that had actual teeth in it. Mm. So we have hard guarantees about gender pay equity. And at first there was certainly some confusion on the part of the legislature saying, what, what's going on here? And then there of course there, we had some, some companies that were very concerned about what it is that we may be doing here. And the argument that we made as an industry was, we really want this in the state of Washington because we have so little local talent and we need to recruit it from all over the country if we have a gender pay equity law, we can use that in our recruiting strategy.
0: right We can say, "Come to Washington,
1: come to our state. We care so much about our communities and our people. We even fought for this and it's it's yeah. been effective so i mean our our we're a little unusual in how we approach things, and that's those are just a couple of examples as a trade association we 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 go on principle first and and our core principle is an ecosystem of a, of a technology ecosystem is just not going to be sustainable if it's not equitable.
0: Right, right. Well, you've already spoken a bit about how you're balancing the different needs of different classes of companies, but I, I'd love to dig into that a little bit more. I mean, how do you balance the needs of like a Microsoft or an Amazon versus the two person garage startup down the street? I mean, both are tech companies, but they're at very different stages of growth.
1: Right. So, our sorting hat principle, so to speak, of of the 10,000 tech companies in the state of Washington, Mm -hmm. which ones do we work with? Our filter mechanism is you have to be willing to collaborate with competitors. Mm. If you aren't, we don't really care to talk to you.
0: Because it's not going to be effective,
1: right? The core strategic advantage that an association brings to a company is group buying power or group influence right so if you aren't willing to collaborate with organizations you might be competing with you don't belong here and so we have AT&T Comcast and Verizon <laughs> sitting at the same table collaborating on public policy or on ecosystem meca- mechanisms that help build a healthy community and a help- healthy startup environment we have them working together because they're really a major, major accomplishment. accomplishment yeah right amazon microsoft they're side by side at yeah. the table helping us build so the same ned works for small companies so the smaller companies they need they need money <laughs> yeah like basically when you're running a small company you got five people you got two things to worry about product launching on time making payroll so anything we can do to help them on that <laughs> we do right but it, the same thing is like if you aren't willing to be part of a co-op i'm not going to be your recruiting firm and we aren't going to be you know your fundraiser we're not going to do that but if you're willing to work together with other companies yeah. you have got power and that power we will help you get what you need and it works really quite well right and companies willing to do that it's interesting to me that out of 10,000 companies you know, in the state of Washington, we've so far only got a little over a thousand of them that are willing to engage and play in that Mm -hmm. moment.
0: Yeah. Well, you mentioned payroll or some other things like that. And I know startups have actually looked to the WTIA to be able to to get insurance and to be able to take a, take care of some things. And the WTIA didn't used to offer that. And you, you're providing it under a different auspice, but I know I've talked to Skip Newberry about, he wants to follow that model because companies need that. So can you tell us more about those services? Yeah, it's one of the reasons that
1: we joined Techna mm-hmm. because the stuff we're doing to serve the community in the Pacific Northwest, that infrastructure can serve anybody Mm -hmm. and so we housed all of that inside the for-profit subsidiary in part because it's the the only way to really do that from a a regulatory standpoint but it also makes it possible for us to create and bundle the services that are of use to skip Mm. and so
0: and the state of Oregon, for those who don't know, Skip Newberry is like, uh, he's got, state of Oregon.
1: yeah, you got it. He's got companies that need 401k. He, he's got companies that need payroll and benefits. He's got companies that need business insurance and, mm-hmm. and this fractional talent of HR and finance and all that stuff. He doesn't need to build that infrastructure. We just need to add a little bit of capacity to serve Oregon. In addition to Washington. And we're doing that in Philadelphia. We're exploring that in Atlanta and in Nashville and St. Louis and a handful of other, uh, Birmingham, Alabama. Like there's a whole bunch of places where we're exploring, you know, how to serve those other communities through this entity. Because it's a, it's a, again, that's the power of a group working together with a little bit of economic contribution to this. You add the capacity that now makes it possible to, for Skip, and others like him to serve his members better, which will end up generating better economics for the Tech Association of Oregon, which makes it a healthier organization to serve its, its member communities. So it's right. kind of a, 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 an interesting way of constructing a, an economic flywheel, more shoulders to the wheel, of faster it goes.
0: Right, right. And you, you have a great background in actually doing companies yourself. And so you understand what it's like to be on the other side of the table trying to get that flywheel moving. Um, And I know, you know, you were previously CEO of Life Mocha. You um, were also CEO of Classmates.com way back, and then in between at Monster.com and Real Networks. So it sounds like you've brought a lot of learnings from those experiences into this role. Is that fair?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I was given yes. Short answer is (laughs) (laughs) yes. I have personally I had the privilege of building five different different companies.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I have been an angel investor and actively engaged in probably three dozen formations of companies leading to exit and then i've been I've been a startup coach I'm probably coached in total probably a 100, 150 entrepreneurs over the last thirty years or so. Yeah, so I've got a lot of exposure to that space and that, the startup space and the job of like figuring out how to make something start, for sure. Mm-hmm. I, I think as a result of that, I don't know, maybe because I, when this when the WTIA board gave me a blank sheet of paper and said, see what you can do about a trade association," be, but it's a <laughs> two-year project, and here I am ten years later. I think it's because I have that background that I ended up building a team that built all this stuff. Ned, I right. think. If and a traditional trade association exec, might, we might not have ended up here, but mm. because I'm a whack-a-noodle, we'll try 50 different things, <laughs> which two or three might work. We, we've ended up with an interesting collection of things that seem to work.
0: Yeah, well, you, you've really transformed the face of the group and also really had a huge impact on the startup ecosystem and the technology ecosystem in Washington State and beyond. Um, so where is this all going? You know, in five to 10 years, where is this going to end up? If you could look into the future.
1: The WTIA Trade Association has a really strong reputation now as a productive, effective collaborator with government. Mm-hmm. And I, we are in an environment now in which there is both a desire and a need, frankly to regulate certain aspects of the tech industry that really haven't come up before. Like what is AI? (laughs) That's a whole other
0: podcast, Michael. (laughs) How is it
1: working or not? And what impact is it having? And how do we make sure that whatever that is ends up building a better world, not a, not a crappier one. And so there's work to be done here. And that's going to require collaboration with government. And we have a role in that space and we have a, an excellent opportunity in the state and also in our partnership with Techna to do this at the federal level. You know, there's correct and reasonable focus and scrutiny on what is the impact of social media on young kids mm-hmm. and well, what do we do about that? I mean, that's not something you can ask the tech industry to solve by itself. <laughs> right? It just, it just can't. Right? It's going to require collaboration. And again, that's I think there's an opportunity for the WTIA, certainly within its state, but in its partnerships with other trade associations in the U.S. and Canada, there's an opportunity to collaborate with others to make sure that federal regulations and federal partnerships work well because at the end of the day it's gotta work at the state level Mm -hmm. or the in Canada. It's gotta work in a province level. It can't just be a federal rule, right? There stuff has to work in states. And so there's there's a ton of work to be done. And I see the WTI continuing that. The apprenticeship model is very interesting. I I think I will be dead. My grandchildren may be dead and some great grandchildren will be celebrating the eventual success of an apprenticeship model in the United States. Took a long Mm -hmm. time in Europe. So i think it's going to take 50 maybe more maybe more like 100 years for apprenticeship to be an absolutely normal thing for software engineers to go pursue a job
0: it's going to take time though that's what you're saying
1: gonna take time and then small businesses across the country are already tapping into this interesting thing that we set up to help them with payroll and benefits and HR and accounting, and and that's making it easier for entrepreneurs to focus on product launches and not Mm -hmm. so much back office stuff. Got it.
0: Well, the podcast has in its title, Dare. So I'll just ask you the question of what are you daring to do? What is challenging to do that you continue to to push the envelope to, to dare to do out there?
1: I think the thing that makes us maybe the most unique is we've had the courage to make diversity our core value Mm -hmm. and we live, eat, and breathe it. Our senior leadership team is six women and two men. It's six people of color out of eight. Mm -hmm. And we're finding as many organizations that do this, an enormous amount of creativity and productivity and power that comes from building an organization in which inclusivity is its most essential function. And we have been daring our company partners to wake up and realize that by 2035, the workforce in the United States will be majority non-white. And it is already slightly majority female. Mm -hmm. If that's what the workforce is, wake up inclusivity and diversity as core competencies Mm -hmm. are going to be mission critical for anyone trying to recruit talent right and there are some companies that are just checking boxes with DEI training (laughs) there's companies that are checking boxes by making sure their vendors are BIPOC that's just not going to cut it like you have to have a really world-class inclusive environment as a workplace if you think you're going to get the next generation of talent that's coming out of environment and out of out of schools and you're gonna you're gonna really need to be great at this and the companies that do this well are gonna kick butt the companies that do not do this well are gonna struggle they may even die
0: right so basically the future is calling wake up
1: wake up and we've been banging that drum now for a multiple many many years actually probably seven years we will continue to bang that drum. Even though a lot of people have told us to buzz off and mind our own business, we're, we're going to continue to bang this drum. And we're going to find those companies that are the coalition of the willing to go do something about it.
0: Great. Well, it's been fantastic to talk to you, Michael. Always great to catch up with you and uh, hear what you're doing. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much, Ned. It's great to see you.
0: Thanks to our guests today for their great insights on DARE, the podcast for innovators, entrepreneurs, and startup leaders. If you'd like your story to be featured on DARE, just contact us at infodarwaft.com. At DARE is brought to you by Darwaft, the tech team that can make your vision a reality.